Miss McIntosh, my darling, chapter 21. Easy it would be to concentrate tomorrow, however, upon the red and baleful hairst like shining armor, the scaled visor of my rugged individualist, this triumphant, plain companion who knew not of refined hesitation, the quick barking of some command which she should give without shallow illusion or vain pretense, when we should take again our evening constitutionals, as the first cobalt star pricked the sun-streaked heavens, and as, with habit unchanged, the old blind sheepdog running ahead of us, on three legs through milkily churning surf and light, guarding the pasture which was no more against the thief who would not come, should bark at every stick and stone, and cavernous shell, and mariner's rope, the worm-eaten rock, every clump of livid seaweed, the carapace of the dead animal, the living eyes. For there would be no great alteration, but only a deepening feeling as to life. For that love is love, which is love forevermore and unchanging, which does not alter with the changing circumstance, and does not ebb, does not wane, and I should accept as ultimate the palpable disguise of the average man, the inarticulate, medi the inarticulate mediocrity which covers over such dead and vanished glory as this I saw on the pillow next to mine. This great baldness as of the moon sunken beyond a watery horizon of iron waves, though yet I should also remember this bald head bearing my heart of all deceit, making me know what lay just beyond the surface, that the strongest heart was also the very heart of phantoms and of chaos. But I should not betray astonishment, and I should not betray this knowledge of this experience I had stumbled onto in a dark night, not seeing it. Daylight should cover us. She would put on her old clothes, be as she had been. She would be forever in my memory, even in daily life as something washed over by the sea, this great head which was the secret pearl. This was surely my good intention, that I should deceive her into accepting herself, as but a usual being in the light, a creature not unlike another, and not merely her poor likeness, one who conformed to her own methodical standards and calendar of dreamless days, one who was incapable of grand or feeble impersonations or plain hypocrisies, one who had not built her house upon shifting sands, one who was no mere simulacrum to be shattered at the blow of a feather or of a single hair, even a hair of light, for she had always had her wits about her, loved only the physical things, cared not for spiritual pretense. Yet I should have remembered that evil has many forms, and the good has only one and has no other face. I should have drawn back, considering some prospect other than the future, which would be like the past, the now repeating itself. I should perhaps have thought, was there no other way than to go on much as we had gone before, for should our lives be only this living lie? I should have remembered, even then so early, that the road to hell, as she had often grimly said, is very broad and very wide, and is paved with bones and good intentions, and life is this valley of dry bones, so we should not be easily deceived by these mirages. The devil does not always wear horns, she had said so only yesterday, and would say so tomorrow, and he may be quite charming, a very handsome fellow, and that is why we must guard against him and improve our country manners. Be not easily deceived by fine feathers which make fine birds, for all she knew the devil wore a red coat and a pair of green breeches, she had said, laughing with her most ribald laughter, slapping her knees, and he was a fine dancer. 
The devil could quote his scriptures too, chapter and verse, for his purpose, which might be good, and he might even know more of good than the good could ever know, for once he sat at the right hand of the throne of God, and was a favorite son of heaven, and some there are who still confuse the brothers, he who fell, he who is not fallen, and is not apparent, he who died for us. The devil, she had said when opening her black umbrella in the sunlight as God's ape, wearing God's suit at court, God's crown, which is a crown of stars, and better the devil you know than the devil you will never know. He might appear as the angel transfixed by light or as the angel of darkness. The greatest sorrows were those not described. The King James Version of the Bible was not to be trusted because made for the vanity of earthly kings and for the unification of the British Empire. A man who's a pig is still a man. Though what awakened now with me was pity, yet hadn't my pity been of some deeper nature, and had I understood the sorrows greater than baldness, which was itself phenomenal, it would have been I who would have fled, I who should have disappeared rather than embarrass her, when she awakened by my continued presence. This bald head remained, even oblivious to my staring, to my laughter which should have been my tears, oceans of tears. It was only the beginning of pity. It was not the end. The pity, pity, pity of that head where nothing grew. The alpine frozen slopes, abysses, chasms, veils, no single flower to crown the top, nothing at the summit but some further summit, no identity but the individual stripped bare of individuality and vain pretense. I had found the dream of the night repeating in the morning, doubled and made visible. The night's nightmare plain as day. My darling who slept now without her wig and who in all her life had entertained no dream that she remembered and would have, would have been incapable of dreaming this unfinished thing, that which had no business in creation. This unfinished thing, tentative and unbelievable, my darling in the impartial morning light which covers us with utter mystery as does the darkness and the whirlwind, this which had persisted in the gray uncertain dawn, this everlasting baldness so like my love. Her forehead furrowed and brown freckled like a wintry field beneath that dome of smooth whiteness glacial and far away, that gesture's wig which caught in the wrong place the light, for she was bald. The mystery of that head where nothing grew, the head itself concealing, concealing all that was not revealed in the sweeping sea light, which seemed to come from no source but the sea. The truth was that it was best not to look too far ahead, to take each day as it came, to be short-sighted and practical to mend our ways. Her vague snoring still I heard. I saw her pale, vapid mouth open and toothless, her face serene but anguished and sweeping sea light that lighted the dark corners of a bedroom, the stalk of a breast which had been cut away so early, the scar, the tissues like a baby's fist, the pity, pity, pity of nothing, of something, for nothing is always something, her wounded side like polished marble clammy with dew, a pinkish gleaming in the rose and mauve and golden light which was not of the sea but of the light those absent features which are present through implication association and habit no eyebrows no eyelashes no single hair or feather the hairless body shining in the whispering sound of surf that stirred and rustled and withdrew with a long wan sigh or cry her gnarled hands with veins knotted by old labors like the veins upon her forehead her gnarled feet grown over seemingly by barnacles though yet the seaweed had not covered her this denudement of the substance and of the shadow, this reality which was less substantial than the wildest, saddest dream that man had ever dreamed. Her woman's clothes, not folded but strewn in pieces over the carpetless floor, bundles and rags and a dirty corset. The window curtains wet, the spectral rose staring through the window glass, the flat wooden eyes of sporadic dolphins staring from the rain-stained ceiling with its cracked places and gaslight, gaslight chandelier. 
One crystal prism left, her wig like another in sinister presence, a brazier with a wad of cloth which had been concealed, that there had been this member lost above the heart which still was beating. Her Irish-green hair ribbon looped over the bust of Martin Luther, wreathed with foaming curls of light's reflection of light. It was my good intention that she should always believe herself to have been the first to have awakened, that she should be completely deceived by my apparent ignorance of her, that she should have gone before me, for I would not be the one to open a final door. I must have fallen asleep again, dreaming of blackberry bushes, of summer rain, of all the beautiful things I knew, the natural things, the surge of the summer sea, showers of pollen darkening the air. For the next I remember, Miss Mackintosh was up and fully dressed and standing at the foot of the bed with her muscular arm around the bedpost, her red waved hair shining. There was only a look of mild reproach in her cheerfully smiling eyes beyond her light-dented eyeglasses. She had not changed at all since the evening before. I looked at her without the slightest astonishment, completely forgetful that she had ever been different than now she seemed. For this, her standing at the foot of the bed in the early morning was a familiar scene which had long ago been imprinted on my consciousness, my waking life. It was true that, however, I was in her brass bed and not in my wooden one, and this was something which had never happened before. I was sure that my being in her bedroom would not seem to her worthy of her explanation. So I did not question her as to how this transformation happened to take place, how it was that I had that I was not in my own bed, but in hers. Her bedroom was neat, even though shabby. Miss Mackintosh herself was in a remarkably good humor, very robust, radiating her kindness, which was badly tempered by her severity, which was barely tempered by her severity. Never did her skin glisten so much, exactly indeed like the skin of the deep sea fish in a silver light though doubtless due to the fact that her face was freshly washed and that she had not used face powder to dull its shine and clog her pores. She was wearing her green hair ribbon to hold her hair in place, also as if she foresaw a brisk morning she was wearing over her pinstriped shirt waist a faded turtleneck woolen sweater with holes at the elbows and over her shoulders, a faded woolen scarf pinned with a large black safety pin. She was wearing, as usual, her silver dollar watch, its face blotted out by a pool of the cold sunlight. "'You have been very sick and unusually stubborn, but you have recovered,' she said. "'For a while I wondered in my old heart what was to become of you. "'What a way to have behaved at your first birthday party, "'even though no guest came and it was a very simple business. "'Dancing is never to be encouraged by this old lady, not even—' "'She paused, smiling, looking about her. "'When there is no one, no partner, I'm sure. "'I'm sure you did not intend to tear your party dress, "'but the highway to hell is paved with more good intentions "'than shining cobblestones. "'As I have always said, and anyhow— it was immoderate and most unnecessary. However, let bygones be bygones. We shall turn over a new leaf. You must learn to be more careful and more far-sighted, and not to act upon a foolish whim or impulse, and to foresee the consequences before the deed. Life will surely punish you if you do not. History is made up of those who did not think. She lifted to the light my party dress, and as it was a fil filmy, floaty cr floating creation, cloud-like, I could not see a hole in it or even a seed pearl which was not in its place. All the little ribbons being where they had been, each rosette of yellowed lace as intact as when Mr. Spitzer had taken out of his long white box. Oh, I should have worn white roses in my hair. What on earth, she asked, was Mr. Spitzer thinking of? It cannot be mended, she said, looking unusually pleasant. We should only have to tear it further. We will have to, we shall have to throw it away. There'll be no new one. Into the ash bin it goes.